I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Lou. This episode, along with every episode this season, is brought to you by our sponsor, KFC. On this week's episode, we've got Big V back on it once again. Back on, man. As always, love to be here. Are you excited to go to uh, the second Raptors Magic game of the season? Oh my goodness. Um, on a Wednesday? Yeah, man. I mean, what else are we going to do? We've got to give the fans what they want. I'm going home. Give them I don't the- know about you. <laughs> I mean, hey, in terms of the trade-off, you, you said you'd go to the Hornets game if I went to this one. So, the Hornets I, game I think, was, I think we're basically both taking the L here. I was going to say, that Hornets game, you know, I think it was more fun towards the end, obviously. But, like, one of the most boring 36-point blowouts I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, every time the Raptors went down the court, it was like, okay, which way should we pick them apart now? Yeah. That was a very sad group, honestly. And I mean, I've seen the Hornets play some pretty good games, but they were not good that night, man. Yeah, yeah. everyone was just sort of taking turns, racking up the assists. It was like, at one point, I was like, we might have three guys hit double digits in assists. Yep. yep. I mean, and yeah, Mark. This was this was clearly a team that was like made for Mark to manipulate. <laughs> it was like, I am too smart for you guys. Yeah. yeah. If anyone just moves, <laughs> it's over for you because I'm going to find them. Yeah, the um, amount of times he found Fred and uh, OG in that third quarter there when the Raptors pulled away. Yeah. Beautiful stuff, man. And also a good reminder that, yo, Mark, man, you're lucky you're in Toronto because the other destination you're about to go to was Charlotte. Oh, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Imagine imagine the course of events. Like, so much would be different. Yeah, and I mean, first up, Marcus Gasol would not be at least a one-time champion. We'll see about two times. Yeah. Um, but I honestly think Marcus Gasol would have become like boris boris dia on the bobcats Whew. level of just like i don't yeah. care i'm eating barbecue every day yeah i don't care about winning games yeah i'm scoring negative two points a game yeah i got my cappuccino maker i'm yeah. opting out of my contract so i can just get out of here oh my god yeah that yeah, yeah, yeah. that would have been the move for him no you should have opted out yeah guaranteed but uh now he's on the raptors and so so the raptors have played 13 games it's been almost a month of the season close yeah. to it yeah, um, you got a piece coming out soon. That's sort of on the upcoming trends in the season. So I figured we'd honestly just jump the gun a little bit and just go ahead and look at twelve small sample numbers yep. on the season, and we will discuss whether that's sustainable, and we will discuss um, you know how these numbers came to be. So the first one: Raptors are twenty fifth in defensive rebounding percentage. Like great defense overall. Yeah, like close to they've been one of the league leaders in opponent field goal percentage Mm -hmm. uh, allowed uh, all season but this is kind of the one weakness in their defense is the defensive rebound percentage their 25th last year by the way they were about 18th which was not very good um, but closer to average this year it's it's definitely down first off what why is this an issue like what's causing this as an issue so 
the part of why it's the it's an issue is going to be the second point that we get into a okay. bit later. Um, and to your point, you know, in your notes, you've noted that is this systematic of nurse, mm-hmm. and I think it is because nurse emphasizes the transition game. So, um, in order to do that, you have to be extremely aggressive on the ball. Um, you're rushing, and then you're basically in scramble mode. And so the Raptors are excellent at pressuring and then scrambling to wherever they get to, uh, need to get to. Um, but then that doesn't necessarily put them in the best position to get the rebound when the play is over. Right, right. And some of them, you know, they contest the three and then they're leaking out, mm-hmm. which, you know, helps the transition stats. Yeah, but yeah. every once in a while, it's going to hurt you on the defensive glass. So um, for Nick Nurse, I think he probably thinks it's worth the trade-off to have that level of efficiency in transition, especially right now with Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. Um, the half court offense is not great. So you're looking for as many easy baskets as you can. Right. So right. you're going to be even more aggressive um, in terms of seeking out those opportunities. So again, I, th- I think it's just, you know, at the end of the day, when you're, when you're poor at one thing, you got to look at what is the benefit of doing this. Right. And so it's just kind of a trade off that I think Nick nurse is okay with. Yeah. And part of the, all, you know, that's a great point that you bring up um, in terms of the transition points. And we'll get to that in a second. That's the second point I have here, but I also think part of it's the reason I included that it was symptomatic of Nurse was that like the Raptors play about as much zone defense as any team in the NBA. Right. Um, I haven't seen every team play yet this season, mm-hmm. but just watching the Raptors, like they go zone every single game consistently. Yeah. They sometimes play box and one, which is extremely hard to rebound at that point. Yeah. Um, and you know even when they do play that box and one, they usually put like a big man on top. Mm-hmm. So that's even harder to, to rebound if one of your bigs is like like if Pascal is up there or if sometimes it's Rondé. That's tough. Those are one of the Raptors' best uh, rebounders. And then to yeah. your point, like when you throw in the transition buckets on top of that, it's also tough. But also, I think it's also a bit of a personnel issue too. Like this is also something Absolutely. where last year, for example, Kawhi was so instrumental in grabbing all those defensive rebounds. Like a lot of nights he will have double digits. It's, yeah. And I think he averaged like eight on the season. You know, frankly speaking, there's just not that much rebounding in the starting lineup, right? Yeah. Like, um, Mark can do what he can, and he, he boxes out quite a bit, but, you know, he's not averaging a ton of rebounds. He's about six per game. Um, Pascal, he has some games where he definitely rebounds a lot more, um, but he's also not necessarily a dominant rebounder at the power forward position. And right. then even OG, like, he's trying his best. I think he's really, you know, ramped up his rebounding. He's almost, like, close to eight right now, but... Yeah. Still, when you put it all together, it's just kind of a smaller team. Yeah. And so that's also a portion of it. And I think teams kind of know, especially teams that have scouted the Raptors well and, and teams that are uh, equipped to do this, like they have really made a point to get an offensive glass. Like I look back on that uh, Celtics game still. Like mm. that Celtics team, super small, even smaller than the Raptors, yeah. I'd argue, but they got like 20 offensive rebounds. Yeah, definitely. And, and those 20 offensive rebounds, if you remember, it was scattered between uh you know gordon hayward and yeah, yeah. Uh, jalen brown and jason yeah, yeah. tatum like they were really hitting it and so i think uh the other thing that stands out to me is when these forwards are getting on the glass it's mark does his best to get in position mm-hmm. but when it becomes a battle of athleticism bro he's he getting out jumped he he's getting jump. beat to the ball whatever it is right so yeah. that, that that's one place where they're definitely losing out on boards that they should be getting yeah um i think Kyle and Fred, frankly, do about as good a job as you can hope for in terms of yeah, yeah, at yeah. least keeping their man off the glass. Yeah. Um, That's the thing. A lot of people point to the re- link the rebounding to the fact that there's a small like guard lineup. Right. But I'm not seeing 
the guards end up consistently beating the Raptors for offensive rebounds. Right. If anything, you know, Fred and Kyle are both plus defenders. Like, you're getting more than 10 rebounds per game out of your backcourt. And it's pretty good. And, you know, I will say that OG has made strides in yeah. terms of rebounding. Yes. Yeah. Frankly, he was he was just a bad rebounder uh, coming into this season. Yeah, that's and true. So I think he's made very positive strides in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps when he's also not playing power forward. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. That's a yeah. huge thing. Yeah. That's a, that's an important point that you bring up. And so now at the small forward position, I think it just allows him, uh, you know, in contrast to Mark, to use his athleticism, to use his strength uh, over other small forwards. So uh, he's made strides there and. He needs to continue that upward trajectory in order to make up for some of the other areas where the Raptors are lacking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, again, I think do they need to improve from you know being in the bottom, you know, six, seven, whatever it is right now, to at least being average? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think Nick is going to forego that uh, to give up the transition game. Right. And so that's the second number right here. The Raptors are first in the NBA at transition points per possession. Yeah. Obviously, transition plays are naturally very efficient plays, but the Raptors happen to be the most efficient team at transition plays. And it's also great because the Raptors also have the second highest share of their buckets ending in transition opportunities, which is um, just it's been a huge boon for the offense as a whole. Because as you mentioned, half-court offense for this team it's limited. Obviously, yeah. Kyle and Serge being out, those mm-hmm. are two of the Raptors' best half-court scorers. Yeah. Uh, that really hurts. But at the same time, the Raptors have kind of gotten by because they're so, so good in transition. So I ask once again, how are they so good in transition? Why are they so good in transition? Again, I, th- I think it, it starts with the defense. And so when you have uh, someone like Fred Van Vliet who can really get up into a guard space, and then just make those passes a little bit slower. And that allows guys like OG Ananobi, guys like Pascal Siakam, uh, to use their length and get in passing lanes. And then even when they're uh, defending on the ball, they're able to get into uh, their man space and really create turnovers off of that. So, um, yeah, and then once you get on, on the break, Siakam is arguably one of the best in the game. Yeah, right? definitely. Like, he gets out on the break, and it's pretty much an automatic bucket. But it's a weird then, thing this season, right? Because, like, Pascal's not actually doing as much of the transition score. At least that's, the yeah. eye test. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I also think the other thing, too, is it's a, it's another thing where it's almost like the Gretzky assist, where it's like people are so cognizant of, hey, don't let Siakam get out on the break, where now other guys are getting the opportunity. We're seeing... Um, you know, when when Kyle Lowry was in, we we're seeing him open for that pull up three more often. We're seeing uh, OG Ananobi take those pull up threes as well. You know, th- those uh, opportunities are coming as a result of Siakam being such a threat in the open court. And so, I think uh, for the Raptors to maintain the transition game again, Siakam is sort of the head of the snake when it comes to that. And then. And then it boils, it boils down to the hot shooting that the Raptors have. And, you know, the, I think that that's, you know, you say we've maybe we're not seeing Siakam with the eye test as much finishing the plays off. Yeah. But I think the eye test would also show that the Raptors are getting more threes um, on the break. Yeah, that is true. And it's like more threes as a team, because before a lot of the Raptors transition threes were like Kyle Lowry pull ups. Yeah. 
Um, I would say a couple of well, there's a, the major factor I think contributing to this is like the Raptors are one of the best teams in the NBA in terms of defense. Yeah, and if you again, like I mentioned earlier, if you're holding opponents to the lowest shooting percentage of anyone in the league, a lot of misses. Yeah, you have a lot of misses. You have a lot of opportunities to run right. Like, um, you know, the Raptors are top ten in contested shots per game, just in terms of contested field goals. Um, they're third in the NBA in defensive loose balls recovered. Which I think that's big because again, you make mm-hmm. a scramble, you you create a steal. That's yep. a great opportunity, or a block even. That's a great opportunity to run. And the Raptors have created a lot more um, opportunities sort of to play in the open court. But I also think like so that's like a major attribute. Obviously, defense is fueling offense. But I think even some of the minor stuff like a the Raptors have some of the quickest outlet passers in the NBA. It feels yes. like yes, right? Because I'm just I'm only thinking about this in the sense that like in years past, like JV was a great rebounder. Really good defensive rebounder. You know, he's going to grab most of the share. But then once he grabs it, he's going to hold the ball. He's going to stay and he's going to wait for a point guard to come back to him and stuff like that. And so it'll come almost kind of slow down the transition attack. Whereas you get a guy like Mark, if he comes down with the rebound, he is immediately, immediately passing to a point guard. Or sometimes he's even bringing I mean, the ball up there's, the floor. There's no if there, right? Anytime he touches the ball, he's looking for someone else. Yeah, he's passing the ball. He's like, yo, help. Help. It's like Danny Green in the post against Pascal Siakam. Help, baby. Um, but no, I think that's a great point you yeah. bring up because, again, that's the IQ of the team. We haven't really touched on that. Right, and, right. And a lot of times with transition, it's recognizing the opportunity because in a split second, it can be gone. Right, exactly. Right? And so when you release that pass that much quicker, when you recognize the open man that much quicker, mm-hmm. that's what opens up the opportunity. Yeah, and they're really aggressive in terms of like the way they play in transition. Oh, yeah. Like There was that play against Charlotte where at the end of the first half, Norman Powell drives down the lane and he kicks it to... Marcus Gasol in the corner you know, for a transition three. And I'm thinking, first off, how the hell did Marcus Gasol make it to the opposite corner in transition? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, how did that happen? And But also, like, even Norman Powell was, like, uh, pushing the pace and, and breaking. And also, I think Raptors are also one of the most opportunistic teams in the league at two-for-ones. And I think that helps yes. transition, too. Absolutely. Because almost all two-for-ones are in transition. Yeah. And we know Kyle, obviously, has loved doing that. He's done it for many years. Um, but now Fred is also really doing it as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, two-for-ones are up around the league anyway. I think uh, this is like an easy thing for NBA teams to sort of exploit. Yeah. And I don't think you need to tell NBA players twice to like, hey, you have the green light to chuck the shot. Yeah. You know, teams are going to do that. But I think you know, Fred and Kyle in particular are two of the most opportunistic at that. So there's a couple of factors there. But honestly, like that's the biggest portion fueling the Raptors' offense. And yeah, I think that's absolutely. why when they've gone up against some of the tougher defenses in the league, they've been able to sit back and guard the Raptors in transition. Like the Mavericks, for example. Part of the reason why the Raptors lost that game, not only because they were tired, but the Mavs didn't allow a single fast break point in the second half. Right. And, what I mean, this is that's like a third of the offense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, you know, we'll get into this later, but good teams are going to be more disciplined and they're going to take care of the ball. And yeah. they're going to... Take better shots. Yeah, get exactly. back on defense. Yeah. Exactly, right? Um and then, you know, on the on the flip side, actually, that's one thing that the Raptors do really well. They don't really look to attack the offensive glass, but yeah. they, all, they always make sure that they're back, right? So, exactly, again, that's exactly. a trade-off thing where it's like, hey, we're going to ec- maximize our transition game, but we're also going to minimize the other teams. Yeah. And, you know, teams are going to look at the Raptors and recognize that they're number one in the transition game. And the really good teams are going to find ways to uh, cut that out. And that goes on a deeper level to mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam's you know, rise to superstardom, right? Yeah. Like, can he go multiple possessions where he needs to execute in the half court? All right. Well, you mentioned Pascal. Number three 
the the third stat. Amen. Pascal Siakam is eighth in the NBA right now in terms of share, his share of possessions in isolation. So yeah. about 20% of Pascal's possessions in isolation. Actually, by the way, number one in the NBA right now, obviously, is James Harden. James Harden is using 41% of his possessions in isolation. Man. I mean, it would be a crazy number if he didn't do this like the last like three years. <laughs> but... It, 41% is just wild. It's like 41 is James Harden and then LeBron is like second at like yeah. 25. Yeah. It's just a huge jump. But um but yeah, Pascal's eighth in terms of isolation possessions. He's uh become a very ISO heavy player. Yeah. What I find really interesting is like so some what's what some of these play type uh data and sort of the categorizations when you when you really look at it like sometimes it's up to the discretion. Like sometimes a pick and roll uh, you get a, you get like a high screen and then the guy attacks. Is that an isolation? Well, you know, sometimes they'll say it's an isolation. Sometimes they'll say it's a pick and roll possession. Right. I find it really interesting that Pascal is also using three times as many possessions as the pick and roll ball handler as compared to as a pick and roll uh, like roll as man. the roller. Yeah, yeah, which is really rare because obviously in years past Pascal is playing more of the traditional big man role. But this year he's averaging about three possessions per game where he's finishing off the pick and roll. Yeah, and. Um, or four possessions out the pick and roll, and three of them are as a handler, one as a as a as a roll man. So, are you are you concerned at all that Pascal is using so many isolation possessions? Or are you, is this sort of just like how the offense is supposed to run? Um, no, I'm not concerned because I think this is the best way to accelerate his development. Okay, and frankly, I think he needs to be a quality isolation scorer to be a true superstar. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so he's th- okay right now. He's like about the same exactly. level as Chris Paul. Yeah, which so, like you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think long term this is there, there's going to be benefits to doing this right now and I think the Raptors get enough ball di- distribution in general to where it's not going to right. disrupt the team's chemistry or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um you know for, for for example with the Rockets when you mentioned James Harden, yeah. you know when it's not in isolation, like I, I don't think their offense really looks that appealing, right? Um, their offense never looks appealing, bro. Yeah, I mean that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I, I guess I meant more in terms of like you know, at least when Harden has the ball, you're kind of looking forward to you know yeah, a yeah. great one-on-one move or whatever it is. Right. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but with the Raptors, like they have so many good passers on their team where mm-hmm. even with the isolation, like I, I, I feel like it comes within the team game. Yeah, for um, sure. And for sure. you know. There's that quote from Steve Kerr uh, from way back when where he, he said he doesn't like to run that many pick and rolls with Golden State because he feels like it sort of takes away from the ball's energy and it can impact the team in a negative way. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Siakam's pick and rolls impact the team in that way, right? Mm-hmm. It, it depends on how you're doing these type of things. And so I don't. Uh, so for that reason, I'm not concerned. Um, you know, I had put a point way down the list. And I think it's better to just team it up now. Okay, since cool. it, since it's about Siakam. All right, this um, is this is stat number four. Yeah. So Siakam, this is what I find really impressive. He, yeah. He's got he's at a career high twenty nine point three percent usage, which right. we all expected going in because yeah. someone was going to have to, you know, basically become what Kawhi was last year and i think this might be higher than what kawhi was last year actually. i think kawhi was at 27 anyway yeah, yeah. So, 29%. so to do that and still have a career low 11.9 turnover percentage right that's that is really impressive because for me yeah. um now obviously again we, we we set off the bat that this is small sample theater yeah, yeah, yeah. The raptors are going to still face more uh, tougher teams and we'll we'll see what the number looks like mm-hmm. uh, later in the season but if he can continue this trend um 
I think that's the biggest takeaway because again, we're seeing him take steps with getting used to double teams. Obviously, you know, it didn't start out well where, you know, you felt like he he could make uh, better reads and that type of thing. Uh, But the encouraging thing is, you know, it's, it's not like, oh, he could make a better read in terms of, oh, he's not seeing it. It's like he's seeing it, but then he's not making the right pass or whatever it is, right? And so I think those are where uh, you're encouraged by it. Uh, and so I think when I look at his usage being what it is, the pick and rolls, all that, long term, mm-hmm. I think it's just going to make him a better player. Yeah, this is one of the things that impresses me most about Pascal is that like he seems to be an incredibly quick learner or like he incredibly adapts quick. really quickly. Because like I remember early in the season, this man was averaging like five turnovers a game basically. Yeah, and I was like, he's not handling double teams well. I made a whole video about it. And then as the season's gone on, and it's only been like two three weeks. He's not having high turnover games anymore. Yeah. You know, like he's the offensive fouls aren't there anymore. Yep. Remember when Nick Nurse called him out of foul trouble? He hasn't been in foul trouble since. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, it's crazy how quickly he's adapted. It's funny when you look at Pascal's numbers because, like, uh, a couple of those, you know, the one thing with Pascal's numbers that especially could be affected by the fact that it's a really small sample right now is the fact that you have these injuries. You have the injuries on the road, so there's mm-hmm. no practice time. And so you have to almost play a style that's not necessarily true to what is going on. Because when right. you have Kyle in the lineup, when you have Sarge in the lineup, you wouldn't be using um, Pascal as much as you would. Like, for no. example, against that Dallas game, man yeah. was just chucking shots, even though yeah. he had nothing in his tank. But it's yeah. like, if you don't do it, who's going to do it, right? Exactly. And so that's actually brought the numbers down on, mm-hmm. on the whole. Because Pascal actually started the season extremely efficiently, true shooting percent around 60. Yeah. Now it's dropped down to about 56%. But I don't feel like Pascal's not efficient. It's just right. like he had a couple of games there where he had to really just step up for the team Yeah. Um, in terms of just soaking up those possessions. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually really cut against him. So the fact that you know his turnovers are really low is, is really impressive. And um, I think also the Raptors as a whole shooting threes so well this season. Um, like they're top five in three-point percentage right now as a team. If you know, I, I think honestly that's really deterred defenses from double teaming Pascal as much, yeah. right? Because early in the season it was like let's double team Pascal all the time, yeah. But then OG was shooting like fifty percent from three, yeah. And like Kyle was on fire, and Fred obviously is a great shooter, and mm-hmm. Mark can shoot it too. And so it's a little bit harder to do that, yeah. And so I feel like the number of double teams Pascal has seen, despite the fact that he's actually started the season like amazingly, it's actually kind of dropped, yeah, from week one to week four or five or wherever we are right now. Yeah, and, and the three-point shooting is huge for the Raptors as a team, right? Because you look at what they were after they got Marcus Hall last year, and they finished number one in percentage. And so now when they're able to maintain that, it it sort of forces the opposing team to pick their poison. Because at the end of the day, if Pascal's your one, and he's ideally got Kyle Lowry and Fred and OG and Mark to pass to, yeah. and they're doing what they're doing from the outside and scoring the way they are. This is a lot more difficult offense to try and contain yeah. than, than many envision. Cause let's face it. When, when you, when you took Kawhi and Danny off this team, oh, yeah. it was a big question. Know, like who's going to step up into those two roles. Yeah. And, and specifically for the three point shooting is like, those are two big losses. When you just look at three point shooting, you yep. look at the volume that Danny gave you. Pretty sure he finished second in percentage last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at Kawhi, his ability to just shoot from pretty much anywhere on the floor. Um, and I think the fact that they've been able to address that and show that it won't be a concern this season is huge. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, that also loops into the next question of um, the, the key stat number five. OJ yes. and Obi shooting 53% from three-point range. And we know he's not just taking like one or two a game. He's taking like four a game. He's hitting 53% from three. Um, yeah. So he's 10 of 20 from above the break, which is uh, a very, very good percentage, um, almost 50%. And then he's also 15 of 26 out of the corners, which is an incredible percentage. Yeah. I think both of those will come down eventually, and I don't think he's going to shoot 53% for this season. Yeah. But out of the two of their shooting 50% from the break or 60% from the corners, which one to you seems more sustainable? Um, which one is more sustainable? You know what? I'm going to say both. Like he can, I think he can sustain a high percentage. I'm not going to say he can sustain, you know, 53% shooting for the yeah, season. No one expects I, that. I, I think he can sustain He's not being Matt a Thomas. 40% shooter. Um, Probably Matt Thomas shooting is leading the team in three point percentage too at fifty six percent. That one actually might be sustainable. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That, yeah, that, I mean, I think he might be able to get a bit higher if he's thinking. <laughs> there you go, baby. Immigrant expectations. It's <laughs> that mentality. <laughs> but yeah, with OG, I definitely think he can be a forty plus percentage uh, shooter because of the quality of the shots he's taking. He's not taking bad shots. Like, when's the last time you saw OG shoot a fadeaway? You know what I mean? Well, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And then you, you look at his shots. I think he's taken 90-plus shots on the season, yeah. and three have been from the mid-range. Yeah. Everything yeah. either in the paint or from the three-point line. And he's remarkably efficient at both, which mm-hmm. is the recipe to get an elite role player is in the limited offense opportunities you have, you make the most of them. That's what Danny Green did so well last year. Yeah. And yeah. I think... Uh, looking back specifically on that Charlotte game, this is something I wrote about was um, there those those two sidestep threes that he took. Those are the ones that were particularly encouraging to me because those are the ones where he would have faked, pump faked it last year or even the year before that yep. and then just looked to pass it off. But I think he understands, and I think he might have even picked this up from Danny Green last year because Danny was so great at this where he'd do the little pump fake, and then he knows that almost kind of stops the defender where it's like now they're trying to make sure they don't foul, and then you just rise up. Right. And then then he's doing a good job as well of sort of leading into the shot where he's got that forward motion where it's like the defender really can't get into your space now. So you're going to have a clean look, especially at his size, you know? So... Um, I think that's something that he's figured out. Uh, I thought, you know, when we were at practice, uh, Nick made a great point about, you know, he, he looks at a balance. Oh, the shooting and coach, like, Nick Nurse? Yeah, a, a shot doctor, Nick Shot Nurse. doctor. Uh, from nurse to doctor, baby. That's what happens when you're a champ. The real doc. And so, uh, you know, he, he talked about how you need to have, um, you know, balance with your feet, uh, balance with your hands, and then, you know, You've got to have clarity in your mind as well. And that might be the biggest thing. <laughs> Yo, Nick, jeez. you got to have clarity in your mind. And, that is true, though. And that might be the biggest thing for OG. Yeah. Right? And we know the, all the struggles that he had last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether it was off the court, whether it was physically dealing with stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that might be the biggest thing. Obviously, the couple of pokes in the eye suck. Mm-hmm. But... Outside of that, you know, I think it's been a fairly clean season for OG, and I think the results are reflecting that. Yeah, and uh, you got to give up to him too, man. I mean, he, he's clearly yeah, he's worked hard in the work. This game. He's put in the work. He's put in the work in this game. Um, you know, it's funny because like 
you heard Norm Powell before the season talk about how he wants a starting lineup spot and he, you know this is this and this and this and a bigger share of the offense and doing a little bit more of everything. Right. And then he comes in the season, and he's like, this is still Norm. Yeah. Like he's played, he's played well with the starters the last couple of days, but this yeah. is still this is still Norm. Yeah. Whereas OG was like, yeah, I'm going to come in, I'm going to start, I'm you know, uh, I'm going to bigger share of the offense, expand my role, and mm-hmm. then, you know, repeat as champions. So far, aside from repeating from champions, which is still to be determined, yep. OG has done everything he said he would do. You know what I mean? So um, you got to give him a lot of credit for that. I also think it's a market difference in terms of, as a rookie, OG stuck into his role. He was good in his role. Last year, he was asked to, like, hey, you're off the bench. Go create some plays. And that was real awkward. Mm. The amount of times we saw him dribbling into people and making trying to make things happen against the set defense, it just wasn't there. Right. Uh, and then this year, he's just, like, again, going back and playing his role. And he's... He's doing the most with his role too. That that really helps. Like um, when he has those opportunities to pass him the ball in the corner, he's done a lot of times where you know he's pump fake, driven pass, and created a play for someone else. Or when the defense is rotating over to him, he doesn't even pump fake. He just drives against it and finishes at the rim or something like that. And so I think he's he's shown pretty good awareness, good judgment, and obviously the defense has been great too. So that one, I mean, yeah, I don't think he'll shoot fifty three percent from three, but I think he could finish a year over forty. Yeah, I don't really I see an issue with that. Yeah, so. Um, key stat number six. So this one's a negative one. Marcus Gasol shooting twenty six point seven percent on two point shots. Not Oddly great. enough, he's shooting almost forty percent uh, on three point shots. So that's good. That's great, actually. In fact, anything. I mean, shoot more three point shots. But twenty six point seven percent on twos. To give you some context on how bad that is, that's the worst shooting percentage on two point shots by a center, averaging more than twenty four minutes a game. So not like I don't know, like. Uh, pops out, for example. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, guys who actually get minutes from 1954 onwards. So we're talking about, like, no World War II vets or whatever, you know, playing the Toronto Huskies game. Maybe those guys shot 25% from two. But from the shot clock, when the shot clock was implemented in 1954 onward, Marcus yeah. has the worst shooting percentage on two-point shots by far by center. The closest ones. The second one is some guy named Jamie Fike, who apparently played for the New Jersey Nets. <laughs> uh, in the year 2000. I'm just going to take your word for it. This guy, Jamie, uh, shot 35% on twos. Yeah. That's almost, so that's nine percentage points better than Mark already. And then after that, it's Walter Dukes from 1957. He shot 35% on twos. The year after, Walter shot 35% on twos. And the year after, Walter shot 36% on twos. So Walter Dukes might be the worst center ever, really. Just If you just look at the numbers here. But yeah. Marcus all right now is like a full 10 percentage points below the worst uh center of all time apparently and um yeah so it's, it's i think to me that's an obvious candidate where it's going to regress mark has been closer to about 49 percent for his career which isn't high for a center but he obviously takes more difficult shots than a typical center would right having said that how much higher is he going to get because it's kind of concerning how bad he looks anytime he's shooting something other than a three yeah i mean i think some of that is going to have to do with just say for example if he gets an offensive rebound right underneath the bucket maybe he can just go up and put it in instead of dishing it off for for og to run in and dunk it um that was nice though it was was nice nice it was nice but you know but i think marcus all by the way also averaging exactly 0.8 offensive rebounds per game (laughs) yeah i mean again that that's part of just how, how nick wants 
them to play when he's on the floor, right? And it's like, yeah, you got a guy that's not really going to move, just just get your ass back, right? And Especially if you're Mark. <laughs> also, Mark's at the three-point line. He's not grabbing a lot of offensive rebounds. Yeah, and but I think the underlying point that I was trying to make with that sort of pass to OG thing is like certain situations, he's got to recognize that he's got to look to score first. Yep. And I think when you're constantly in pass mode, mm-hmm. teams are going to play off that teams are going to recognize that and then again we talk about the split second that can make a difference on a on a fast break where you recognize the right pass and frankly that that applies to just when you're on offense in general and just identifying a cut or whatever it may be right the same way on offense there's going to be times where you're going to have a shot the second you get the ball yeah but if you don't take it in that second it's gone yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so the, really the mindset is just aggression. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think there's been multiple occasions where Mark has had the shot turned the, it down as soon as as soon as the ball comes to him. Yeah. But he's letting the ball go, you no, know, and he's looking for the pass to just just to keep the play continuing whatever it may be, mm-hmm. but sometimes the play just ends with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, one play that that, that kind of stands end with out you at least. Well, yeah, definitely. But I mean, one play that stands out from what you described was in that Dallas game. Mark had an open corner three. His defender was sitting back. He decided, he looked at it and decided not to reverse it to the wing who the guy was covered. So there was, it's a bad outcome for the defense. And I think it got tipped out of bounds. And then Mark then demanded the ball in the post against Chris Tapps and then threw up a, just a terrible yeah. shot. And then it yeah. missed. And that, that sequence was kind of, to me, what it says about that sequence is not that Mark is stupid and doesn't recognize what's going on. He's clearly a very cerebral player. I think it's, what's difficult for him is that like he has to acknowledge and change the fact that he's older and this is sort of his new role. Like he really does need to sort of adapt and sort of roll with the times. And I think it's hard. It's it's really hard because I think yes, I think over time his two point percentage is going to regress closer to something. That's I mean, not I'm not even asking for his career average of like forty nine percent. I'm asking for like forty percent. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, but you know, I, I think. He has to also sort of recognize the fact that, yo, that three-point shot, that's your bread and butter now. Yeah. He only takes three of those a game, and he plays 28 minutes a game. I need to see that around, like, five. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to see, And there's lots of opportunities for him to shoot five without having to just jack up shots. I'm not asking him to be Brooke Lopez and shoot 35-foot threes for no reason and never go in. Right. right? Just to, like, space the floor, quote-unquote, for Giannis. Like, no, that's not happening. But there's so many plays that the Raptors run whether it's dribble handoffs or that little pistol action where they sort of throw the ball ahead and then go move back and then it turns into a quick pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, or even just those plays where it, the motion sets, like um, where there's sort of a three-man dribble weave kind of situation. Yeah. Mark is always going to have the ball around the three-point arc, and he can just look at the rim more often and shoot those. And yeah. I'm serious. Like, I would rather Mark, instead of trying to force-feed Mark and get him going in the post or whatever, no. which I don't think that works anymore. Even if it, Even if he does shoot around 40%, that's still not a good shot. And he's not drawing fouls out of that. Like, just shoot more threes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just shoot more I agree. threes. I agree. And, and frankly, this is something we, we've we already gone over from the playoffs against Philly, the playoffs against Milwaukee, those first yeah. two games. right? When, when those, there was the big difference between how a guy like Brooke Lopez was playing versus a guy how Mark was playing. And Mark ultimately outplayed Brooke Lopez over the course of that yeah. series. No question about mm-hmm. it. Way better on defense and slightly better on offense. But it was interesting. And I looked at Brooke Lopez and I'm like, honestly, if you can just play offense the way Brooke Lopez plays offense, it would help your game overall. Yeah. And frankly, 
this might not even be an issue once Kyle and Serge are back, right? It's just yeah, right sure. now in the half court, the Raptors really need to recognize whenever they have yeah. an open shot. Yeah. And that, frankly, just right now, there are quite a few possessions where Mark has the best shot that, yeah. that they're going to get in a half court possession, and he needs to take it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. Key stat number seven. The Raptors are now 32-9 and nine with Fed Van Vliet in the starting lineup. This is dating back to the start of last season. He made 28 starts last season. The Raptors went 23-5 and five in those starts. And the Raptors are now 9-4 and four on the season. So that's 41 games, which is half the season. The Raptors are 32-9 and nine with Fred. If you extrapolate that to the full course of the season, that's a 64-win team. Now, I don't think that the Raptors are a 64-win team necessarily with Fred in the lineup. I don't think it's just on Fred. I think the Raptors have a lot of other great starters. But it's undeniable right now that Fred is working really well with the starting lineup, and the Raptors undeniably win and get results with Fred in the starting lineup. And yet people still want to bench Fred, man. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for You're my, not do my part... 64-win seasons. Yeah. For my part, I will say my argument for... And it was never like bench Fred and then just start Norm for the entire season, right? Like yeah. coming into the season, I envisioned this shooting guard position as being sort of a fluid yeah. position. Yeah. And I was like, hey, just match up based. Sure. You know, have Fred start. And then when, when you're really going up against a big team, maybe that's where you look at a guy like Norm. I, you know, I even thought you could go super big uh, against a team like Philly where you look at where they line up with josh richardson tobias harris ben simmons yeah al horford and joel Embiid. Mm. for me i was thinking oh you that's maybe at least you could take a look at OG starting og at two yeah pascal at three Serge at four mark at five and and, and just see what that looks like i mean it's um, possible that's a, that's the nice thing about having a guy like pascal he's so varied in his skill set right you can do whatever you want with the lineup exactly yep. and so that was my thinking coming in but fred has just made this spot his own oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and and yeah, I, I, right, uh, right now, um, unless it's a, like a matchup thing that really forces you to change in the playoffs, yep. I think you just continue to roll with it. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the winning is concerned, he's a winner. Um, he just makes the right play all the time. Yep. Uh, again, this is something I've said a few times now. He's not he's not a Kyrie or a Dame where you're looking to go get 30 on the night. No. You know, he's just he's just going to make the right play on offense. He's yep. going he, to fight like hell on defense. He's and a legitimately great defender. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, he, I mean, we don't need. Obviously, he guarded past our Steph Curry. Yeah, <laughs> you got to be pretty damn exactly. good to guard Steph. Exactly. So or double Dova. Yeah, and you know, you or put, Kevin Love. You put two V's together, you get a W. Wow, <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> oh my God! I'm gonna start calling you Big VV. <laughs> um, yeah. Again, shout out to Fred, man. You got this opportunity. You've always want. You've said you've come out publicly and said, "I want to be a starter." Yeah, you got a chance to start, and then you you own that start. And the thing is, like, it's not like Fred's a perfect player. Clearly, has flaws. Clearly, there are some small drawbacks with having such a small backcourt. Yeah, um, but at the same time. If you just look at what he's giving you from that position, it's pretty great. And on the bigger picture, coming into the season, the big question was how you're going to replace. Uh, the offense that Kawhi was giving you, the offense that Danny Green was giving you. Right. We always, obviously, Pascal has stepped into that Kawhi role on offense in terms of being a high usage guy, 
being playing more isolation, playing more pick and roll ball handler, shooting more threes. He's done all that. He's done everything he's asked of him. He's kind of filled in that role. He's not as good as Kawhi. Don't get me twisted. But I'm saying he's giving you production similar to what Kawhi was doing last year, which is wild. Yeah. Wild that that's even an actual conversation right now. So then the question is, who's going to be last year's Pascal? Well, Kyle has really stepped up his scoring this mm-hmm. season. He's averaging above 20. Now, he hasn't played a couple more games. I don't know if Kyle will average 20 at the end of the season. But nevertheless, you know, uh, Kyle has sort of stepped up his offense and at least giving you something closer to what Pascal was giving you last year. Which, by the way, last year on that whole, on the season, Pascal averaged 17 points a game. Can Kyle average 17? Honestly, with the way he's looking right now, assuming that he comes back, you know, no problems with his thumb, which... Seems like a pretty standard recovery. Yeah. He should be. Yeah, he could give you 17. And then you look at, okay, so who's going to be last year's Kyle? Well, Fred's been last year's Kyle yeah. this year. He's giving you 17 points a game, giving you seven assists, rebounding, great defense, uh, running the bench and stuff like that. All good. Who's going to be last year's Danny Green? OG, OG. and OB, <laughs> Right? OG's actually been better than last year's Danny Green. Yeah. So that's been great. Who's going to be last year's OG? Well, Rondé stepped into that role. Serge and Mark are still who they are. And then when you look at it, it's like, yo, they've actually somehow rec- recreated all the production yeah. of all the roles last year. And that's really improbable when you think about the fact that those are significant On losses. paper, it, it looked impossible. It looked impossible, and yet here we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're, yeah. we're, we're doing that little Hot Wings meme right now, you know? <laughs> you think we'll be here? No, not me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's been great. And uh, I think Fred has been one of the most integral players in the season. And, um, yeah. Okay, so key stat number eight. Raptors offensive rating is 101.8 against teams with a positive net rating, 118.9 against teams with a negative net rating. V, you put this on the list. Why did you flag this? Because I think it's something worth monitoring going forward. Obviously, we have a very small sample size, especially when you split, what is it, 13 games that they've played, and you're pretty much splitting them in half. Um, And so I think one of the reasons I flagged this is because this, again, is going to be a measure of uh, where Siakam can get to as a superstar this season, right? Because, again, we talked about how the good teams are going to take away certain things that, that you like to do. Right. And the the thing that jumped out is when I looked at the half-court offense against uh, teams with a positive net rating, mm-hmm. that is what drops from 103.2 uh, to 85. Damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Damn. Wow. So, okay. uh, so, again, that ability to execute against half-court defenses where uh, – opponents are keying in on you know your tendencies yeah. um that's going to be the biggest determinant of whether siakam can truly be a superstar because yeah. when you when you look at the elite players of the game yeah it doesn't matter what you throw at them they're like basically a swiss army knife you take one thing yeah. away they're gonna find something else you know what i mean and we saw Kawhi do that there's <laughs> the Kawhis of the world and the, the rosens of the world and there's no disrespect to demar but it's, it's just there's different levels exactly right yeah. and um obviously there's caveats that go w- with this as well because you look at playing the clippers on the second night of a back-to-back you look at playing the mavs on the last game of a five-game west coast yep. trip so, all these games have been on the road yeah which hurts exactly right but it's not an excuse for the whole thing yeah i mean to have that significant a drop-off i think is yeah. at least something worth flagging to and go- yeah. and and monitoring going forward right <laughs> and so um again i think that that's a challenge for uh, the offense, I think, um, on some level, it's kind of uh, telling a truth on the roster on paper. Yeah. Because I think 
by uh, by all measures they've exceeded expectations right and so this might be one thing that you look at and say hey this is probably one of the reasons why maybe coming into the season why you thought they'd be very good mm-hmm. they might not be that elite championship contender again yeah no i think this is a perfect uh way to look at it. i don't think it's unfair to look at this whatsoever i remember back in the 2018 season one of the biggest things against the 60 win raptors was or 60 wins or 59 60 wins right no i don't think they've ever got to 60 they, they tried to get to 60 and then fred, uh, and got, then hurt. fred got hurt in miami yeah. right, right 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 and then they lost the game yeah. right dwayne casey buddy well, congratulations on the regular season awards but uh <laughs> anyway um yeah, I mean, this in that season, I remember one of the key stats that stood out was the Raptors were like pretty good defensively overall. Yeah, but then against top ten offenses, the mm-hmm. Raptors' defense was like garbage. Yeah, and it was a real issue. And yeah. it was like, okay, going to the playoffs, uh, you know, are you going to be able to defend? And they didn't defend that well against Washington. Yeah, uh, I mean, they they defended okay on the on the whole. Obviously, they got by Washington, but they still lost two games. A lot of that was they couldn't really get a handle on Brad Beal. And John Wall actually, I think, helped the Raptors' defense by taking so many bad shots. So <laughs> shout out John Wall. But um, obviously against the Cavaliers, the whole thing fell apart. And the Raptors' defense was just did not put up a resistance whatsoever against the Cavs. And so they got swept. So I think it's fair to look at some of these numbers, right? I think, you know, this year, for example, I trust the defense a lot more than I trust the offense. And I think unless something happens fundamentally in terms of if you look at who can generate shots for the Raptors, it's Pascal, it's Kyle, it's Fred. Right. Fred generating offense against a half court offense, even not against even not against elite defenses, is going to be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, Kyle has done pretty well against in that role this year, but ultimately, yeah. we're talking about thirty three, thirty four year old Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. I can't really expect him to be an elite shot creator in the playoffs. And then it's just ultimately up to Pascal. And we've seen Pascal have some good moments. We've seen Pascal dominate really terrible defenses like uh, New Orleans, and we've seen him, uh, you know, you know, just put a hurting on um portland and stuff like that but you know it's also unmistakable when he went up against ad he shot like 9 to 25 when he went up against milwaukee against Giannis, he was invisible and he got into foul trouble and didn't really play that much of a factor uh even against dallas you know that one i excuse it for only in the sense that they were so tired and the whole team just it it didn't even look right physically Mm -hmm. but still you know he kind of went to the same plate over and over again and it just wasn't working as much so um you know, at the same time, obviously, you know, Pascal's had great games against uh, the Celtics, for example. He had five threes against the Celtics. That was great. The team lost, but ultimately, Pascal did good. Yeah. But it is a question, and it's something that, you know, it exactly. needs to be developed. But, again, that's one of the nice things about it being a bridge year is you can sort of always take a step back and look at the bigger picture, and the bigger picture is still very good. Mm-hmm. That's a great set to look for, though. Uh, key stat number nine. Fred VanVleet is playing 38 minutes a game. Siakam is at 37. Kyle, obviously, before he went down, was at, like, 38 as well. Yeah. Uh, is it okay to keep playing this way? Um, I don't think so. I think I think you need to get those minutes down, especially if you're looking to have an extended playoff run. We've we've seen this movie before, and we've seen how it plays out, right? Um, rest is a huge talking point in the league, and we've seen the benefits of that for Kyle Lowry specifically the last two seasons, for Kawhi Leonard last season. Um, I think we saw in the postseason last year uh that Siakam did have games where he sort of did look fatigued and he and frankly he was one of the constants last season in terms of playing time in terms of constantly being out there and we saw it take its toll and now with all the usage that he's taking up it's only going to be 
that much more detrimental to him in the postseason. Mm-hmm. So I think ideally you need to get him down. Um, and I think that's where Rondé's play is extremely beneficial because yeah. you look at when Kyle is back and potentially just spelling some of those Siakam minutes with Rondé. Because yeah. let's face it, Kyle's going to find a way to run the offense when he's got Ibaka for that pick and pop game and uh, Rondé just yeah. cutting to the rim, whatever it may be. And so uh, I think that could be a huge benefit uh, for Siakam down the line once the team's healthy. Yeah. Um, I, I get, I totally get that. It's just something that Nick has to do right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with Fred, um, you hope that almost Terrence Davis can come along even quicker, quicker, which right. is, and we'll get to Terrence in a second. Exactly. But, but the, you look at the depth that the Raptors have at the guard position, that is a weakness, right? Yeah, for uh, sure. It's, it's something that has always been there for them. But um, in some of the moves that they've made, that's something that they've lost. And so with Fred, you know, he said he's not going to complain about getting minutes. Mm-hmm. He's going to take as many as he can handle. But The anti-load uh, management. Yeah, m- Mr. Anti-load management. But... Uh, that's actually funny he says that too because he was the fill-in starter for Kawhi last year too so (laughs) he was literally anti-load management (laughs) but you know anyway Uh, so yeah that again another thing that's worth monitoring going forward um, especially because you look at again we talk about three-point percentages is that sustainable what do you lose as the season goes on your legs and once the legs go, the three-point shot goes. Yeah, and that's true. Fred's Fred's two-point percentages. We talked about Mark's two-point percentages. Fred's are pretty uh, yeah, bad yeah, too. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> Fred's like five ten, so so but that's understandable. Exactly. So if the three is not there, then yeah. it really becomes an issue, right? Right, so. for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think luckily this is something that Nurse is aware of. He's cognizant of it, and I think now that he's had. Um, a bunch more players step up. I think it's helpful. I think the Raptors going on a road trip early in the season uh, is tough to deal with, especially um, when you go on this road trip, you have less time to practice because you got to really manage your energy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And that's the time where you got to really lean on your established guys. And for the fact that the Raptors were able to, well, because of injuries, they were actually able to reach deeper into the bench for those guys to prove themselves. That's going to be, that's going to pay off dividends down the line because if the Raptors can actually get like a legitimate bench unit together, then all of a sudden, yeah, you don't have to play your starters as much. You know, I think realistically, um, where this might impact the team is I think um, Pascal might see a little bit of a dip in terms of his minutes because right now he has to play backup point guard almost when Fred's sitting because yeah. Kyle's not there to yeah. do it. When Kyle's in the game, then Fred and then Pascal doesn't have to do it as much. And also Fred's having to extend himself because he's pretty much the only reliable point guard at the moment because you don't know if Terrence Davis is going to give you fifteen or if he's going to give you five fouls in like ten minutes, right? So that's a bit mm-hmm. of an issue, but. I think Nick understands that this is something he has to solve, and now he knows there's there's more yeah. options available to him than he originally thought. Yeah, or you just get enforced load management like Kyle did with the injury. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, Kyle Lowry, by the way, before he went down with the injury, averaging 21.8 points per game, shooting 42.6% from three. You mentioned that he is 17 of 40 on pull-up threes. Yeah. Uh, and that is a very, very interesting number because – we know Kyle can hit those shots. He's hit them for many seasons. Mm-hmm. But also last year, man, was not hitting those shots. No. Yeah. Uh, 29.2% last year. So uh, that was one of the things I think pointed uh, people pointed to last year and said, oh, this is a sign of a decline. Right. Um, but I think now with him getting back in gear, and we'll mm-hmm. see if the trend continues once he comes back, right. is, was it more just a case of Kyle... 
um, not necessarily knowing where his shots were coming from with you know with Kawhi in the lineup, looking yeah. out for Danny, that type of thing. Kyle had a back injury last year for like a month. Yeah, that exactly. Really, like really he, he started out the season great last year too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, and then um, he took that. Uh, I think something in the back from Jonas Jarebko in that Warriors game. Yeah, I mean, he, he he's sort of taking the the hardwood to his back a lot because he ends up on on his ass with all those charges right that's but. true <laughs> well he got he got Jarevko back in the finals so we're good <laughs> but you know i think i think that is one of the things that is such a big part of his game in terms of maintaining his scoring uh the raptors sort of transition game um and again just supplementing pascal siakam scoring that if it does if it does sort of dissipate and he does sort of get into last year's sort of 30% range. Yeah. I think that really takes away from the Raptors' offense. And it really takes away from him being a threat because now you're talking about, you know, we, we talked about, we've, we've seen this season mm-hmm. him have that burst getting to the rim. Yeah. And, you know, if, if guys are, aren't looking at you as sort of that pull-up threat in transition – yeah. Now it's harder for you to get to the rim as well, right? Right. Because of the way they're able to defend you. So um, I think there's so much that sort of filters down from that pull up three for Kyle, whether it's assisting teammates, whether it's his own offense. Yeah. That that's something that's important for him to maintain for the rest of the year. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing with Kyle is that, like, you know, obviously before the thumb injury, there, were, there was not only was there no sign of physical decline, mm-hmm. it was almost physical rejuvenation. Like it went against the grain almost, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean the injury might have saved him from a 25 game suspension. Oh, well, yeah. Relax. Relax. <laughs> Strike that from the record. Because, uh, you know, even something like his free throw attempts were up. Like last season, Kyle didn't have a single game of double digit free throw attempts. He already had like two of them. Before he went down in eight games. So breaking um, news in Maple Leafsland. Oh, okay. Mike Babcock has been fired. Whoa. Wow. Check out all the coverage on Yahoo Sports Canada then. And uh, apparently on Alex's uh, Twitter feed because Alex is apparently a, a big Leafs fan. Wow. That's that's uh, who they're going to hire. They're going to hire Pochettino. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Spurs. Oh, my God. I mean, <clears throat> more shameful Spurs right now, uh, San Antonio or Tottenham? I mean, if they want a man that doesn't know how to win trophies. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're well, you, that's I don't, that's I don't know why you're joking, making jokes like this, man. You know United tired of him. Listen, I've seen, I've <laughs> seen my team win trophies, okay? Wow. Wow. They don't, they're just trying to buy a cabinet. Whew. Um, what were we talking about before? What's, it, what's like, it been for the Leafs since 54? Something like that? Uh, it was like 67 or something like that. Basically, since the last time someone shot 26% from two as a center. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who was that again? Uh, Walter or whatever? Walter Dukes. Yo, Walter's a, a classic old person name. Like, I, <laughs> nobody born after like 1970 is called Walter. Uh, yeah, Walter Dukes. Yeah, Walter Dukes. Great uh, great third-line defenseman for the Leafs back in the day, you know? Um, wow. But, yeah. Uh, who are so yeah, the least going to hire, man? Oh, the least. Uh, okay. Um, no, we don't. Yeah. Actually, this is this is Leafs talk. Yeah. Actually, I got I got cut from the radio today. Um, For what? Because I was supposed to be on at eight thirty in the morning. And bro, why are you going at eight thirty in the morning, man? Get some sleep. Give the people what they want, man. It's not often people talk about the raps on the radio. So when it happens, wow. you got to jump on it. So, wow. but true story, mm. like eight twenty. 
they text me saying okay we'll call you in 10 minutes yeah five minutes after that they're like hey there's stuff going on with the leafs so we're gonna scrap the wow. raptor segment um sorry wow. to do this on such late uh, late notice so i'm there thinking oh man babcock must be like must they must get word that babcock's mm. about to be fired whatever right. but they basically just talked about how the leafs sucked for the next 20 minutes and i was like Bro. all right <laughs> you woke <laughs> like, up for that <laughs> damn wow second class citizen <sighs> Uh, life as a Raptors fan. Yeah. Wow. Um, remember when Don Cherry okay. was all going all Fred Van Vliet okay. and being like, "Yeah, I always bet on I've always bet on Mike Babcock," and it was like tough. Yeah. It's well, tough. the Raptors are champs. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't need to talk about the least man. That's, yeah. that's a disappointing franchise right there. Yeah. Um, what what we got here? Terrence Davis. More positive news. Key stat number eleven. So we got twelve. So we got one more after this. Terrence Davis seems to be getting it's better. Basically, threes the rest of the way. Yeah, because it's fine. <laughs> That's like a half the NBA game nowadays. Terrence Davis seems to be getting better by the day. He is 13 of 27 from three on this season. First off, is he that good of a three-point shooter? Like, he, he looks pretty good in practice. He looks pretty good in warm-ups. In games, I never fully trusted, but the ball goes in a lot. Kevin Arnovitz might need to do like a full investigation of the shot doctors on the Raptors. Because, yeah, he, someone's got to do something, right? Because, uh, like... That he, Terrence Davis said this was, this was one of the knocks on him when he was going through draft camps and everything yeah. that he couldn't really shoot the ball. Yeah. And oh, he looks like he can shoot. Yeah. And, and I look back at, at his college career for three years, he shot about, you know, 31, 32%. Um, and then that final year, he shot 37. And again, I think, uh, actually, we can get into this in, in our next point. But I think with the Raptors, what they've said is they will always point their players in the right direction and try to give them a plan that they can execute it's up to those players to t- put the onus on themselves and go about and do what they need to do and i think terrence davis has quickly sort of grasped what is expected of him mm-hmm. and he's just putting the challenge on himself every time every day at practice every game to try and execute those things and again you know so much of this is a coach putting a player in the right position to succeed yeah definitely. when you look at what terrence davis's weaknesses are right now yeah it's he can't really be an nba point guard right now it's just too much well, of a burden on him he's um, had some games with good nice assists he's had some yeah, games yeah, but also yeah. it's not like he's breaking down a defense it's sort of like right. transition making the right pass on the exactly yeah. right um but I mean, in terms of you look at the comparison of when he plays off ball, there's a big difference. There's, oh, yeah, I think yeah. there's a, a much greater comfort zone for him there, mm. and that's what Nick Nurse is doing with him for the most part. Wow, we have a new norm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Hopefully, um, he's a little bit better than that. But uh, yeah, I mean, the three point percentage. I think it's interesting. I mean, first off, he's not shy about shooting the shot, which is nice, right? Yeah, like which, that, it's really good. Yeah, like, I mean, whatever. The fourth quarter of a garbage time game in the Charlotte. The man hoisted like four threes. And yeah. I think he made all four of them, too. Yeah. So he's definitely willing to shoot this shot. Really, yeah. the only issue I have with Terrence Davis right now um, is the fouls, man. This man fouls a lot. Yeah. Right now, he's averaging 4.8 fouls per 36 minutes as a point guard, which is very rare. Mm. Very rare. Uh, there was that one game where he had, like, Five thousand six minutes or something. And he, he, was almost, crazy. he was almost fouled out, except I think Norm they put his hand switched the fouls to someone else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think part of it is um, he's getting picked on. 
by the officials. Like he's a rookie. I'm gonna give him the foul call, whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, he's putting his hands on guys, and you know, and what I really like, by the way, is that Fred's been in his ear and he's talked to him about like, just stop, <laughs> stop doing that, man. <laughs> you can play defense, like, um, you know, the whole bench as a whole, like, are a little bit jumpy for me on defense. They kind of like get themselves out of position almost. They're, they're really good at hustling, flying around. They actually kind of know the rotations pretty well, except for Matt Thomas when he flipped his back to Lou Williams. I'd never seen them like that in my life before. Um, but, you know, like, they are a little bit jumpy. I think and right. Davis and uh, Matt Thomas in particular are the ones that definitely like to leave their feet to close out and save themselves. And, you know, pr- pretty much any savvy NBA player is going to just, like, pump fake and able to make a play and dribble mm-hmm. pass and move. And so I want to see that portion of the game improve. But the offense is legitimately nice from Terrence Davis is what I'm trying to say. And especially when he sort of starts to put it all together, he seems to be a very hardworking guy. Um, it's promising. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's all and, you can ask for is promising at this point. And, you know, I think... Also, he's an undrafted rookie, man. Yeah. And, again, you know, everyone makes the Fred Van Vliet comparison because of the storylines. He's not more... Um, he's, he plays more like Norm than Fred. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're very different players, but in terms of the aspects that can be compared, mm-hmm. you, you think about... You know he's he's been he's given spot minutes here, spot minutes there, but he takes every opportunity he has, right? Like yeah. he's he's trying to do the right thing, um, and this is something even Dwayne Casey used to say back when he was here. He's like, I'm okay with hard mistakes, right? Like when you're when you're doing things the right way, when you when you're playing hard, and then you know you commit a foul or whatever it may be, or you have a turnover doing trying to do the right thing. Yeah, that's okay, and yeah. that's that's basically how Terrence Davis makes mistakes, right? You don't, you don't see mistakes out of laziness. You don't see mistakes yeah. out of um, being in the wrong position defensively. You know, you, you don't see any of that from him. And so that's where you sort of raise his ceiling mm-hmm. because you see this is someone that can continue to take challenges, whatever you ask of him. And you, you think about Fred Van Vliet, 16, 17 season or 17, 18 season. He got that random game in Orlando where he got a look in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right? The call was now, out. Yeah. And it was like him and Corey and the game was like in the 80s. Exactly. And yep. and that's where, you know, no one's really watching, mm-hmm. but it's a chance for him to make an impression. Oh, bro, don't tell me no one's watching, man. I was Me and Blake were at his... <laughs> well, I was in Blake's apartment on the couch studying that game intently while like 25 dogs swarmed around me. I mean, hey man, Blake gotta, loves gotta, to gotta do, rescue dogs. Got to do what you got to do for the reaction pod. Um, I was actually for the reaction pod, and then right after that, I went over to Lamport and played soccer. It was like minus <laughs> ten degrees outside. Dude. Wow, that's dedication. <laughs> yeah, sure. We call that definitely not desperation. <laughs> um, but yeah, and again, Terrence Davis. You, you, we look at a game like Charlotte, but that's again just an opportunity for yeah. any of these guys to make an impression. Right, and uh, the more they continue to do that, mm-hmm. the more they're gonna make themselves a case for being a part of the Raptors' core going forward. Yeah, because let's face it, there's plenty of roster sport spots to play for in 2021. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also like the game in Portland, by the way, where he plays 30 minutes or 31 minutes, really 30 minutes with 52 seconds, gives you 15 points. Mm. Um, on the road, tough situation. Yeah, um, you know Portland's guards are pretty crap at defense, but still, again, yeah. you make the most of your situation. Obviously, stepped up against the Lakers as well and Charlotte. So he's, and he's defensively, he did his thing against CJ McCollum too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CJ McCollum this year, man, bro. That, this man got paid and he he went on the uh, Chris Middleton diet. He just he just 
you know. He's trying to master the podcast game. You can't hate on that. It's like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like Danny in the playoffs, man. Better, better podcaster than that. Uh, anyway, does Matt Thomas, number 12, last stat, does Matt Thomas need to do more to be in the three-point contest? Right now, he's 13 of 23 from three. Uh, he's shooting like, I mean, obviously, he's leading the Raptors in three-point percentage. He really is money on threes. It's crazy. His yeah. true shooting percentage right now, like, it, it's it's been multiple games where he's actually played, like, actual minutes. Yeah. Like, 10 minutes a game, 12 minutes a game, something like that. His true shooting percentage is, like, 78%. Right. I think I think to get an invite though, I think he needs a couple of games where he just goes off. Okay. And you know it's like a it's like a two minute run where he knocks down like three or four threes, mm-hmm. and that's I think that's how you maybe get some national spotlight. Sure. I know. Yeah. Shouts to Alex doing everything he can. Alex is doing everything he can, man. Yeah. He should be his agent at this point. <laughs> we should petition. We should set a separate petition for Alex to just be his agent. And. Uh, so yeah, I think he needs a couple of those like just crazy games that sort of get you on the Sports Center highlight reel or inside inside the NBA where it's like, <laughs> yo, I was just imagining inside the NBA. The only time he's getting on inside the NBA is when Chuck plays uh, who he play for. Who we play? For? I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> You're not going on no inside the NBA. Come on, man. <laughs> hey, man. Um, stranger things that happen, but yeah, yeah, you know, if there, if there's a time for it to happen, it's mm. these next couple of weeks while Kyle's out. Well, you know, because uh, well, once Kyle's back, he's pretty much going to be a plug and play option, right? Like, I mean, that's basically well, what he I is mean, now. But you know, he's he's interesting as an option. I think right. Nick really respects the fact that he can space the floor. Yeah, he just needs to be less of a chicken with his head cut off on defense bro what's going on with him <laughs> like, <laughs> he jumps at everything he had his back against lou williams um actually it was just one-on-one one-on-one with a guy dribbling trying to dribble past them he's just kind of okay at that but like yeah as a team defender it's it's been pretty tough yeah I, one thing nick mentioned at uh, yesterday's practice was that you know he's um given matt thomas some homework to do basically uh, and was like, yo, study these shooters. Mm. And uh, one of the guys that uh, he didn't mention on the podium, but he mentioned afterwards was like, you know, JJ Reddick's obviously one of those guys. And one of those things was just like the subtle things that shooters do. And it's not something that Matt Thomas, it's not Matt Thomas is seeing JJ Reddick for the first time and like, oh, who's this guy? Let me go research. Like, obviously, he's seen him before. I'm sure he studied them a little bit, but it's the small things like how JJ Reddick's able to like push off every single time, like lock you in, push off. And then, like, sprint, yeah. dead sprint, and to create separation. Because that's really the only thing with Matt. It's like, you know, he can create more of his own offense rather than necessarily just being a spacing threat and then getting open on, like, catch-and-shoot shots. Because we know he can hit catch-and-shoot shots. But if you're only going to subsist on catch-and-shoot shots as a guy off the bench, you're getting, like, maybe two again right. just on those. So you need to really work on moving off the ball. The Raptors have that play once in a while they run for him where they have, like, Two screens, and then just like you know, he, he curls and he curls, sort of yeah. lifts. And this, they ran that for Terrence Ross a lot in the past. They ran it for Kyle Lowry, of course. You know, Fred occasionally. Yeah, they run it for Matt. But the, the issue was like Matt isn't like Terrence Ross, where he can jump like forty inches in the air and exactly. shoot, get separation. He's already Terrence is also like six seven. Matt is like six five. He's also one of the smallest six five dudes I've ever seen. I don't know, Matt. He looks more <laughs> like six two. I don't. I don't understand how he's six five, but whatever. He's six five. Uh, but he doesn't jump that high, and also he's not getting that much separation. That's the thing. I feel like defenders are able to stick with him a lot more. He's not even sneaky athletic, is what you're saying? No, no, he's just straight up unathletic. So, um, you know, 
But you know, I gotta, I gotta give it up to Matt too. Like he is definitely one of the hardest workers. Uh, like even when we just go before the game and see people warm up and stuff, Matt Thomas does like every single drill possible. Yeah, like dribbling drills, stretching. You know, like so shooting obviously, and you know, I'm shooting like various shots, not just open three point shots. And it's like a really extensive. He probably has the longest warm up routine out of anybody I, on the yeah. Raptors. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. And because there's think- guys who just come in and out. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. And then there's guys like Norm who come out when Marcus Hall's trying to warm up, and Mark's not having any of it. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to hear your BS, Norm. Mark, I mean, Norm is getting on people's nerves, man. Yeah, I know. Mark, uh, Rondé. Yeah. That Nick, was Nick that, Nurse saying he has 26 points one game and zero the next. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Damn. Really? Way to tell the Nick truth is, on him. <laughs> Nick is on his way to tell the truth. Serious truth serum, man. He's letting it all out. That that championship clout is a McDonald's clout. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. Those McDonald's commercials for him are just not not great. But (sighs) this pot is KFC over everything. All right. So of course. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, That does it for the podcast. Twelve small sample season uh, numbers to watch out for. V, thanks for coming on the podcast. When's your article dropping? Um, Friday. Friday. Because tomorrow I'll have something off this game. Okay. And then I'll, I'll put like the numbers based off this game and all that together. All right. And then Friday we'll have something that can carry us into the Atlanta game Saturday. Yeah, sounds great. So look out for that. Um, and uh, yeah. And then so we're going to have a, obviously the same reaction show after um, the game tonight, the Raptors, they should probably beat the Magic again. I don't really think they will have too much issue with it. Um, but, yeah, so we'll have that. And then on Saturday, Vic, you are back on the Reaction Podcast. Airways. I'm how back. Was, how, was the first, uh, how was the Milwaukee game for you doing that show? It was fun. Um, I mean, obviously the game was pretty shitty. Cause yeah, they, almost, they almost made a great comeback. Yeah, yeah. But, it, I mean, it was also one of those, it was like, you know, are they really going to come back? Yeah, yeah. Um, are they going to sustain the comeback, too? Yeah. Because once you, you're on top, are you going to stay on top? Exactly. You, you spend all your energy trying to come back. Exactly. So, I think that was a tough thing. But, no, I I enjoyed it. Tried to follow your format as best I could while also kind of making it my own. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I have fun with it. I'm looking forward to Saturday. Yeah, you got to get Check a... Check out K- Trey Young. Got to get a KFC bucket of the game. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll leave you with instructions. <laughs> no, man. Yeah, I thought, I thought you did great, man. And, Thank you. Um, yeah, so you'll be back on the pod uh, to cover the Hawks game, and so to everyone else listening, thank you for listening to the podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you to KSC for sponsoring uh, the show, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.